You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Salem is not the same. I got John Laurent sitting here. He's the only one who's sitting here. He's been amening me the whole time. John's been running around. John's got a sweat rag. John's probably playing a game on his computer right now, but he's here for moral support. I love you, John. Get that amen a little louder. Let me hear the amen. Amen. I hope you can hear him. He's here. He's here. It's not the same without you all here. I'm looking at empty seats, but nonetheless, the word of God goes forth. And so I have some verses to read. John is now leaving. The only person in the room, and John is now leaving. Oh, my goodness. I now have nobody here anymore. Yeah, you can leave, John. Go ahead. Bye. I'm now by myself. Literally 100% of the people who were here have now left. All right. We have a few verses. I want you to pay attention to all of them. They're very important for the day. First is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, talking about Jesus, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and of Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years." Our next text is found in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Since therefore the children, us, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this is the key verse. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And now we have our final text. It's from Luke chapter 22. This is the moment when Jesus is presented in the temple as a baby. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. This is key. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We're going to talk about that. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents of the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said over Jesus, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just so everybody knows, a quick John Laurent update. John is now back, and this time he's wearing a coat. So he left without a coat and then came back and is now wearing a coat. So I'll continue to update you on the happenings of our music director, John, as the service continues. So stay tuned for that. We have news reporters and helicopters out there monitoring the situation for John Laurent. Okay, our series title for the next four weeks is version, perversion, conversion. Version, perversion, conversion. If you've been at Salem for a long time, I'm channeling my inward Matthew Thomas, who once at a tent meeting yelled out, come, become, overcome. He loves his three points, and so I'm channeling the inner Matthew Thomas right now, our missionary to India, with our series, Version, Perversion, Conversion. What are we doing right now in this season of epiphany as we're moving toward everybody's favorite season of Lent? We're preparing for Lent. And we're setting the stage, listen Salem, that Jesus is a safe place to be honest about where we need to heal where we need to grow, and Jesus is a safe place to know where we need to be converted. And please don't think that conversion is a one-time thing that happened when you got saved. We need to be converted every day of our life, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So in preparing for Lent, we have gone through the season of Advent, and when we went through the season of Advent, We strengthened the waiting muscle. We strengthened the waiting muscle. Why? Because waiting is part of our ordinary life. Waiting for something is something that all of us are going to do for the rest of our lives. Even waiting for the fullness of our own selves to come to fruition. We will always be waiting. We will not arrive at the fullness of who we are until Jesus himself returns and brings us to the fullness of ourselves. And so every year in Advent, we strengthen the waiting muscle, the, 
muscle of patience. And I know with two young children at home and a church that just loves water coming into it, that we need to wait and be patient. After Advent, we went through the season of Christmas where we strengthened the process muscle. We talked about baby steps. We talked about seeing the large issues that need to be healed or need to be attained in our life. And we talked about the temptation to want to leap ahead to a finished product. And as we'll talk more about today, because these issues overlap, Christmas is God starting off literally with baby steps. He himself taking baby steps before he took large steps up Mount Calvary and out of an empty tomb. Then we moved and we're in now the season after the Epiphany where we strengthened the revelation muscle. And we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, the revelation muscle, the the reality that we get stuck in first thoughts when things get stressful and we have trouble leaving the first impression we have of ourselves, the first impression we have of other people, the first impression we have of issues. I remember this morning when Jacqueline said, hey, Ian's been calling your phone. He needs to tell you that a pipe burst in the church. My first thought wasn't the best. I won't tell you what I said in my head, but it's not the thought everybody would want me to stick with. Immediately after that first thought came a very simple whisper that said, accept it, handle it, improve from it, and then move on. Okay, just so everybody knows, quick update. John Laurent is now leaving the sanctuary again, and it looks like he's on the phone in the foyer. So John was here. John left. He came back with a coat on, and now he's back in the foyer again, standing in the two double doors, and he's coming back into the room now. Okay, so John's back in the room. We'll continue to monitor the situation for further updates. He's back. He still has the coat. He has the coat on his shoulders now. He's not wearing it. It's just wrapped around him like a shawl. So, yeah, like the Godfather, he says. Well, pray for John Laurent. He, it's good that he's here this morning, I'm starting to think. Yep. Finally, in a few weeks, in about four weeks, <clears throat> we're going to enter the season of Lent. And what we're going to work on in the season of Lent is we're going to strengthen the self-awareness muscle. The self-awareness muscle. We need to be aware of ourselves in two ways that we're going to talk about. One way we need to be aware of ourselves is we need to be aware where of the areas in our life where we're not fully formed yet. When we leave the house, when we interact with people, when we interact with ourselves, when we interact with the Lord, there are parts of all of us that are not fully formed yet. And we are going to be putting those parts of our lives out there and we need to be aware of where we are not fully formed yet. If you meet somebody who is not aware of themselves, they can be cringy, they can be awkward, they can be obtrusive, they can be standoffish, they can be aggressive. If we're aware of the areas that we have going well, and if we're aware of the areas that are not fully formed yet, we will walk around humble, and we will walk around with a self-awareness that makes it easy for us to enter our own life and the lives of others. So, I want to talk today about how Jesus 
is a safe space for us to be open about the areas in our life where we need to grow, heal, or be converted. The areas of our life where we need to grow, heal, and be converted. The first thing I'll say is this. Uh, Simeon said that Jesus is appointed for the falling and the rising of many. The falling and the rising of many. And that order is so important, Salem Tabernacle. Jesus is not appointed for the rising and the falling. He's always appointed for the falling and the rising. Every one of us is going to have something in us that Jesus fells like a tree. He's going to take down something in us so that the right, true, and holy parts of us can rise. It's not that some people will fall and others rise. He's going to fall everybody. And he's going to raise us all to newness of life. What is he going to take down in our life? He's going to take down in our life our false view of ourself. When Jesus helps me see myself the way that he has always and forever seen me, I will then see him the right way, and I will see all of you the right way. And I will see my issues and my trials and my tests and my blessings the right way. He wants to take down, cut down the thoughts in our own lives that war against our true self-aware view of ourselves. In Malachi, says that when Jesus comes, he's going to be the purifier of silver. He's going to come as a refiner's fire. He's going to come as fuller's soap. And it explains what that means. He's going to re- refine the sons of Levi as silver. What does this mean? We can get into the refining process, but there's something we need to understand before the refining process, and that's this. Jesus is not an alchemist. Jesus does not take regular everyday metals and try to form them into silver and gold. He's not refining you so that you become silver. He's not taking this raw material of sin and death and trying to reform it to make you silver. It says that he's refining you as silver. In other words, you've all, you were silver when he created you. You have been silver all through your worst mistakes, and all he's doing is refining you to get the earth and the mud and the nasties off the silver so that you can see that you have always been, are, and always will be silver. He's not making you silver. He already made you silver when you were fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's wombs when he saw when he saw your inward parts in that moment you were already silver. Every sin you've ever committed and every sin committed on you has never changed who you are to God. You are as valuable through that as you have been always. And so the version The version has always been silver. The perversion is when we see ourselves as mud. 
when we see ourselves as gross, when we see ourselves as less than, when we see ourselves as not good enough. But what does Jesus say to the man born blind? He says, put mud on your face and then go wash it off. And Jesus is saying, everyone has been slinging mud at you and telling you you're less than, but I'm here to wipe the mud away. And you're going to have new eyes to see that you were never less than in anything that you've done wrong or that's been done wrong to you. Jesus is a safe place for conversion, for healing, and for growth. He's safe because his view of us has never changed. And our quality and our value to him has never changed ever once, no matter what we've done or no matter what's been done to us. We've only ever been silver and gold. Conversion, healing, is not making us a better person. Don't think this about yourself and don't think this about anyone else. And I won't think this about John Laurent, who, by the way, is still in the room with us this morning. He's still here. We can never think that once I heal or once I get more holy or once I'm more righteous or once I behave better that I'm a better person. God brings holiness to our life. God brings healing to our life. God brings conversion to our life. Not to make us better, but to show us that we've always been perfect in his sight. And what needs to be converted is my view of myself. I need to see that when he made me, he called me very good and has not stopped calling me very good, even when I don't feel very good or look very good or not very good things have been done to me. Amen, John? Amen. I want to point out another section of this. Mary and Joseph came in to the temple with two turtle doves and two young pigeons. And if you are bored when you read your Bible, you're just going to skip over that part. But do you know why they brought in turtle doves and pigeons? Nobody's here, so I don't know if you know or not. So I will just tell you. In Leviticus, if you want to do homework and test me, you can go to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And what Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 will tell you is that when you come to the temple after having a baby and you're bringing yourself to the temple for the purification of sins, for the purification of your body, what you bring is two turtle doves and a lamb. You bring two turtle doves and a lamb. And then it says in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, if you cannot afford a lamb, bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons. If you can't afford a lamb... Bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so fast forward a thousand years, two thousand years, and here's Mary and Joseph coming to the temple to be purified after having a baby, and they don't bring a lamb. They bring two turtle doves and they bring two young pigeons. Why? Because they were broke. They didn't have any money. And there are so many of us who think that because I don't have anything to offer, I might as well not offer anything. Because what I have to offer is going to show that I'm broke. 
And maybe not just money, maybe character, maybe talent, maybe your social acumen, maybe the way that you feel when you offer yourself socially in a group or at your job or whatever the case is, you just feel like I, I, my, my personality is broke, my social skills are broke, I don't like who I am, I don't like my body, I don't like standing in front of people, I'm just going to withdraw and I'm not going to bring anything. Listen, let me tell you, when Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves and two young pigeons, it's because they couldn't afford a lamb. But who did they bring with them? The one who 30 years later, John the Baptist will look at and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you bring what you can afford, don't bring any less, don't bring any more, just offer your honest self to God. Offer what you have to give to your friends, to your family, to your spouse, to your kids, whatever it is that you have to offer, you offer that because this story is telling us that we have no idea that we're all bringing something priceless to the table. Mary and Joseph didn't know that they actually did have a lamb to bring, that he was the perfect lamb, better than any lamb ever brought to the temple in any time in history. Priceless beyond expense was Jesus of Nazareth, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They brought the most expensive reality and they had no idea. When you offer yourself to the Lord, when you walk into the room, you might think you don't have enough to offer, but when God sees your heart in any condition that it's in, you just brought in something priceless. So the version that God originally gave us is offer yourself. The perversion is that I'm not enough. And the conversion is that you can offer yourself again. You were silver. You, in the perverted view of yourself, you thought you were mud, but when you're converted, you're back to seeing yourself as silver again. When you, the original version was, I can offer myself to the Lord. Then life happens, mistakes are made, things are done to us, and then we think, I'm not enough. But when we're converted, we don't go to something we were never before. We go back to seeing who we've always been the whole time, worthy of offering ourselves to the Lord. Conversion is new in the sense that you will see yourself as a new creation again, but a timeless God who doesn't lie and cannot change has only ever seen you one way and one way only. Very good. Jesus is a safe place to open up our wounds to, to open up our issues to, to be honest around because he doesn't take advantage and he doesn't damage us and he doesn't hurt us. He shows us that from his point of view, we've never changed from the way that he has always seen us. And then last night when I was wrestling with this message a little bit, I called one of my best friends in the whole world, John Paul Father, J.P. Robles from Youngstown, Ohio. He's the pastor of Sacred Commons. Follow him. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's amazing. And I said to JP, I said, JP, what is the significance of Simeon and Anna holding baby Jesus? These people who are now well advanced in years holding God, who somehow is older than they are, yet 80 years younger than they are in this moment. And JP said to me, he said, Simeon and Anna hold Jesus. And when they look down at him, the image of God is gazing up at them. They're looking down, and when Jesus opens his eyes and looks up at them, the image of God 
is gazing at them. And the reason why the image of God is gazing at them is because they needed to be reminded that they have lost the gaze of the image of God within their own self. The image of God in the baby is the image of God that has always been true of Simeon. It's the image of God that has always been true of Anna. And now in this moment when they're externally holding the image that always and eternally has been inside of them, they're realizing in that moment that there was never a second of their life whether it was all the righteousness of Simeon or all the tragedy that Anna went through, no matter what they went through, the image of God was always in them. It was always innocent. It was always young. No matter how old they got, no matter how battle-tested they were, no matter what they went through, the image of God was always in them, has always been in them, will always be in them. Young, innocent, vibrant, perfect image of God that has always existed. And so our original version was image of God. And then we've made mistakes. And then mistakes have been made against us. And we have taken a perverted view of ourselves, which is the image of sin. I've gone from the image of God to the image of sin. And God converts us to say, you might think that about yourself, but I've only ever seen my reflection in your life. And I want to bring you back to an awareness of that. Version, perversion, conversion. He's converting converting us to see what has always been true. God is not making new truth out of us. He's not making us people we weren't. He's bringing us back to who we always were, and then he's bringing us forward into what we were and what we were, what it would have become if these things never happened. He's bringing us back to our original purpose and then bringing us forward into what our original purpose would have always become. And nothing that's ever happened to us or been done by us can thwart the the, the purpose that God has in us when we stand before the cross and are converted to seeing ourselves the right way. I have one more point to make, and then we will come to the Lord's table. The Hebrews text. Jesus has suffered what we suffer so that he can heal what we're suffering. That's the That's my summary of the Hebrews text. Jesus suffered what we suffer so that he can heal what we're suffering. Jesus runs to the wrong places to get there first so that when we get to the wrong places, his voice is there waiting for us. Some of us have run to the wrong places because we've made bad decisions. Some of us have been thrown to the wrong places because other people have made bad decisions over us. Either way, Jesus got to the wrong place before you did so that when you got there, when you landed there, I just need everybody to know, uh, final report I think I can tell here, John is leaving again. This is now the 87th time that John has entered or left sanctuary of God. Go in peace. Be warm and filled. When we landed in the wrong spot, boom, 
whether we went there ourselves or we were thrown there by somebody else or by life. Jesus was there already. Adam and Eve were not a safe space for each other. When, they, when their eyes were open and they began to see each other, listen, the way they always were, but never with the eyes they had. So Adam and Eve saw that they were naked, but they were always naked. Nothing new happened to them. They were seeing themselves in a perverted way from the original way that they were seeing themselves. And they hid, and then they accused each other. They were not safe spaces for each other. They hid naked behind trees. And then Jesus, the last Adam, comes naked from birth. And at the end of his life, he doesn't hang naked behind a tree. He hangs naked on the tree. He steps into our shame. He steps into our guilt. He doesn't hide behind the cross. He hangs exposed on the cross. His garments stripped off of him, and he hangs there, and in the midst of shame and embarrassment, he prays for us. Father, forgive them. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't say, my dad is going to get you for this. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in shame, he heals our shame so that we can be naked before him and unashamed. So I want to say this. If you have been abused or traumatized or violated in your life physically or emotionally or spiritually... God is not going to heal you in a way that erases what happened because what happened is now true of you. It happened to you. What he's going to do is he's going to enter that trauma and heal you from the inside out and he's going to transform the work that that trauma is doing to you. He's going to transform it to become like his scars on Easter Sunday. Jesus didn't remove the scars of his trauma. The trauma healed in such a way where he could show his hands and say, even though I was traumatized, look at what my father has done. He's healed me and he's risen me from the dead and then people look at the scars and say, your God must be real. Jesus didn't wake up on Easter Sunday and have Good Friday erased. Easter Sunday happened to Good Friday. It converted the death of Jesus into something that can bring life. And he's not going to heal your trauma in a way that erases it. He's going to heal your trauma in a way that converts the use of it so that life and growth, as the Bible says, streams can grow in the desert. Uh, fruit can grow in the waste places. Faith can come in the land of trauma. You never stopped being silver when somebody treated you like garbage. You never stopped being silver when you treated other people like garbage. If your wounds are because of the things you've done wrong, if you were the perpetrator and not the perpetrated, he's going to heal you in a way that doesn't erase what you've done. We're still responsible for what we've done, but he's going to convert guilt into a motivation, a humility, the ability to stand and say, I've made mistakes and I'm going to live my days pointed toward the Lord 
and open to the ways in which I can bring healing where I've caused harm. Everything that's happened to us that makes us feel like we're not silver is like Friday, Good Friday. Good Friday was terrible Friday until Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday doesn't erase the event of what happened on Friday. It converts the event. And it shows us that the first Adam took the tree of life and made it the tree of death. And the last Adam took the tree of death and made it the tree of life. He converted back to pointing the right way. And so I close with this. Simeon and Anna, advanced in years, they've done things wrong. They've had wrong things done to them. Life has happened to them. Pipes have burst in their life many, many times. Water spilling all over the floor. Tragedy. All kinds of stuff. And they hold Jesus, who's hardly made sounds yet. And they say, this is the salvation that we've been waiting for. We can die in peace. The fear of death has left them. None of us are afraid of death or afraid of dying. We're afraid of dying thinking that we're no longer silver, but we're garbage. And I don't want to die as garbage. I want to die as holy. And this moment, holding this baby, is the moment that Simeon Annas could say, look at those eyes. Even as an infant with no words, he's already telling us that we've always been silver and that we were never garbage. We can die in peace now. We need to see this in ourselves, Salem, and we need to see this in our children. We need to be able to look at our children, these unfinished people, people at the beginning of their process, and see the fullness in the unfinished. You need to see it in yourself. You need to see it in our children. Somebody recently said Janice Sharp in Oklahoma uh, has a podcast with her husband, Preston Sharp, and one of the things they said in a recent podcast is, our goal as parents is to not raise good kids. It's to raise whole people. The goal isn't to make our kids perfect while they're kids. The goal is to raise full people. Parenting doesn't end when they grow up. We parent the long game. Simeon Anna saw an infant and said, we've seen the finished product. We can hear him saying it is finished already. I want to be the kind of dad who can see the end from the beginning. I want to be the kind of pastor who can see the goal from wherever we are in the journey. I want to be able to see in myself where God is sending me, not just where I'm at. And I want you to be able to look at yourself, your home, your kids, your clothes, your job, whatever it is in your life. And I want you to be able to see the fullness of what God is leading you into, not just be blinded by the tree and missing the forest. That's the word of the Lord. Amen and amen. If you have bread or juice at your house or wine, in these broken pieces, this isn't finished. This is broken. It still needs to be put back together again. But here's the thing. There was a version of this bread that was whole. Then it breaks, and it looks like it's useless. It looks like it's perverted now. It's broken. But Jesus is saying, when I hold it up, 
I'll show you that this bread has never lost its value. It's always been whole, and it's always been me. And so, Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took bread. And when you looked at it, you said, my people are going to break. They're going to fracture. They're going to splinter. Either they're going to break from their own decisions or someone's going to break them. And they're going to be tempted to look at the five loaves and the two fish like it's not enough. They're going to be tempted to look at the seven loaves like it's not enough. They're going to be tempted to look at this Eucharist and disparage it and despise it and debate over it and to fight over it and to turn it into all these different things because the last thing they will think is that this bread could possibly be enough. But then you held it up and you gave thanks. And you took what looked broken and perverted and reminded us that it is the bread from heaven that feeds us until we are all at the marriage supper of the Lamb with you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that everybody would see in these broken fragments of bread their unfinished life and have the mud washed off of it, have the voice that says you're not enough washed off of it, have the image of sin and being defined by our faults washed off of it, So that in the middle of the storm, when the leaves are falling off the tree, we can see that these leaves come back, and they will keep coming back, and they will keep coming back until the day that you, Lord Jesus, come back. And then what is true of us and what is true of the tree will be true of the world, that it will bear fruit in all seasons. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you would descend on us also and make us for you, make us for ourselves, and make us for the world around us, the body of Christ, that we may feed the world the good news of the gospel, that their eyes may be converted, and in the midst of their shame, and in the midst of the storm, and in the midst of the guilt, and in the midst of all kinds of calamities, we would see that, yes, we're going through stuff, Yes, we may get banged up. Yes, we may get broken. Yes, we may make mistakes, but we have never, ever lost our value before you. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you take this bread by faith and nourish on it in your soul with the Lord? Well, Salem, it's 11.02. You're already home. You got a little bit of extra time today. Use it wisely. It's always interesting the way that we get to spend time together as a church. I love you so much. I'm glad that we can go through these things together. There's such a great spirit, such a great vibe. I felt like you were here the whole time I was preaching. I love you all so much. Remember, we had all those announcements. Hit rewind when this is over. Sign up for Boys and Girls Club. Sign up for baggage claim with the men and the women. Sign up for uh, Come to the Bible Study on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. We got so many good things. Jesus has a lot to say, and it takes more than one service to hear him. So make space in your life to be at all these things. Salem, we love you so much. We'll send updates throughout the week. Have a wonderful day. I love you. Be blessed.
Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.